Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. My message this morning is titled The Upside Down. The Upside Down. How many of you have seen the series Stranger Things? Lift your hand for a minute and you're not afraid to admit it. I was better than the early service. And um, that series, for those of you who, there's about half of us here this, today, so in the, this service, the early service, I think I only had five out of about 95 uh, that were in the sanctuary at the time I asked the question that said they had seen it. For those of you, um, Netflix, it was a Netflix thing, wasn't it? Original. Uh, it is about a parallel world hidden from the community at large that begins to beget, become visible to a select few. Ultimately to everybody, but initially for much of the series, it was a hidden world. And it, is, it was a frightening or is a frightening world um, with a hideous creature who is much like the devil, devil who uh, grows essentially by absorbing, which is the kindest word I can say, uh, people, consuming people. And this world is called after a few episodes they Young lady calls it the upside down. If you could eliminate the ring, I would love that. The upside down, she called it. And my reason for referencing it here is to ask this question. Do any of you feel like right now we are living in the upside down? When the vice presidential candidate can refer to herself and Joe Biden as good Catholics, and yet be pro-abortion, right up through the third trimester and beyond, that is upside down. I'm not even Catholic. But I know the Pope ain't down with that. When protesters can burn down and loot a city's buildings and businesses and most media outlets and many politicians refer to it as a peaceful protest, that's upside down. Yet it is the world that we live in right now, isn't it? And that's just a couple of things in this deeply political environment right now. And I trust that you have, uh, the, what is it, the 19th is your last opportunity here in Pennsylvania to, to uh, register to vote. You need to vote. This is an important election. The next presidential candidate is going to choose a member of the Supreme Court, that could change things dramatically. That has to matter to you. And I trust that you're paying attention to these things and that you will exercise your right to vote. You'll engage in the process. You'll pray through it. Uh, I have already given way to the fact that I'm pro-life, deeply pro-life, and enough so that it does impact how I vote. Absolutely. I cannot deny that fact and have done so throughout the many elections that I participated in. Uh, 
since I was 18. I was able to vote for Ronald Reagan. And uh, I encourage you to exercise your rights and engage in the process. It's clear we're living in the time that the Bible refers to when it says, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That is the America we are living in right now. America is lost. And if you will adapt the mindset of Christ, you'll have the answer or means whereby you can help people get on the right path. And so as I have titled this message, The Upside Down, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 15. And this is a very rare occasion for me. We are going to read an entire chapter of the Bible. So prepare yourself. Luke chapter 15, it's three parallel, if you will, parables. And I have it on the overhead for you guys. Thank you, media team, for getting this straightened out for me. The early service, we had some uh, technical issues. Thank God we, they were the guinea pigs for you guys, so you get the, the good stuff. Parable of the lost sheep, and here we go. Chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that. The New Living Translate, notorious sinners. <laughs> came to listen to Jesus teach. This is going to be important. I'm going to come back to it in a little bit, but, but just catch it now. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Even eating with them. <gasps> so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Next parable. Or per Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. How about anybody in the house that's like that? Uh, if I lose something... I will search, I will dig apart, I will go through, I'll do it one day, and if it, I don't find it the one day, I'll come back two days later, I'll try again, I'll retrace my steps, i do whatever I have to, and this woman figured out that's how she would find the coin. Go on to the lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. So Jesus is making a strong point, right? Round three, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that he eat, even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, thank God for when you come to your senses. 
He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he re returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. You ever rehearse something in your mind and then you don't follow it through and actually say it? This guy, he did it though. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, they started partying before the, the, the fatted calf was even ready. Because think about it. Y'all don't know this, but it takes a while to butcher something. I know that from experience, both with cattle and hundreds of deer. But... I'm sorry, that probably offended a few of you. But anyway, I go on. And, and, and so it, they started the party. And it would be hours and hours before the calf was ready or the fattened calf was ready to be eaten. But they started. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Woohoo! He asked one of the servants, what's going on? Oh, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Instead of being thrilled, the older brother was angry, wouldn't go in, and his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money, notice how he says that? This one son of yours doesn't use the word my brother. Squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Boy, could I preach that word right there. Everything I have is yours. You know who he's talking to, right? He's talking to you. Every, the Father said, everything I have is yours. So what appeared to be impossible is possible. Because if the Father has it, it's yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Hallelujah. Pastor Amy and I left for a conference on Sunday afternoon and it, it ran through Wednesday morning for the Assemblies of God, Pennsylvania, Delaware pastors and leaders. And uh, while there, we came across a, a good friend, pastor and uh, the dean of the Pendale School of Ministry, Bob Laycock. And uh, it seemed that he shared these, this word with us. While it had a different title, um, it's the same message. And I want to give him credit for sharing that with Pastor Amy and I. And we thought, I thought, I really want to share this with our folks. And so I'm going to do that today. So the first thing we're going to look at is the people. 
I'm going to look at the people involved in the process here. If you have notes, by the way, if you have our app, you can take the notes right in on your app, or there are the written notes that came in your bulletin. And I encourage you to join us in this, and especially for those of you who are students. And if you are not taking, but you will be taking homiletics, this is a really good sermon for you to put away, tuck away as a great example of a, a good sermon. I'll put it to you that way. So, as we look at the people, we're going to first look at who the message was not given to. If you've paid any attention to my preaching over the years, and even just a short period of time, I'll always point you to keep it in context. When you're giving it to the Word of God, it's important that you understand the context of the Word. And so in light of that, I'm going to ask you uh, to, to ask this question of the Scriptures. Let's examine who this message was not given to. It was not the Jews. Now, don't get confused, Jews were there because Jesus is in Israel. <laughs> so there were Jews present, but, but the point of the message wasn't directed at the Jews general. And it was not the disciples. And again, disciples would be there, right? You get that. But it's not directed at his disciples as such, though he would want them to hear this message and understand it. And finally, it was not believers as such was not directed at believers as such. Again, followers of Christ would be there. People who loved Jesus would be there. Those who would ultimately follow him to the very end would be there, but it wasn't directed at them. So now let's see who this message was given to. Let's take a look for a minute at who the message was given to. Isn't it interesting when you consider that tax collectors went out of their way to see Jesus or listen to Jesus. I find that interesting. And that's how this passage opens up. Tax collectors would enjoy being with Jesus. And it's important that you take note that these are tax collectors because everything I'm about to talk to you on, it, it, it refers to balances. It refers to proportions, percentages, right? How many of you know tax collectors understand percentages? Have any of you ever paid taxes? But he also mentioned somebody else, and I love it. I've already pointed out these notorious sinners even like to listen to Jesus. Notorious sinners. What kind of sinner has what kind of sinner do you have to be to be notorious? But that means you've done something to, to get notoriety, right? So that's the kind of sinners and task collectors who enjoyed listening to Jesus. Doesn't that amaze you for a minute? Come on, think about it. We poke and prod people to try and get them to church or any kind of a church-like gathering, don't we? And yet, they're attracted to Jesus. They want to come out and listen to Jesus. So much so that there were so many of them that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to complain about who he was hanging with. So what does that mean? It means that the complainers that, it's the complainers that drew this message out of Jesus. The complainers drew the message out of Jesus. It was the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. They understood the laws. They had helped develop the laws. And their complaint was that Jesus associated with such sinful people, even eating with them, that prompted this teaching from Jesus. Even eating with them. What's that mean? Just hanging out, fellowshipping with them. They, it bothered them enough that they hung out with 
these guys hung out with Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, what does that mean? That means they were hung up in their religion. The outward. The outward appearance. They were hung up on that kind of thing. How can you hang out with these people, Jesus? Don't you know the people you're hanging out with? That wasn't the only time that Jesus would hear something like this. But let me just give a word for those of you who do anything in the church and in ministry. If Jesus had to deal with it, you may have to. You ever try to do something for Jesus and have somebody complain about what you did and how you did it? Wish I could tell you that I'd never experienced that. But I'd be lying if I did. We have a tendency to shoot our wounded. We have a tendency to put down those who are doing a great job it, this is like one of those, you know, that was amazing. But. And you just like to slap the butt out of them. And one wonders what these people thought Jesus was going to say. You ever been in that kind of a situation? Perhaps you used similar tactics with a sibling at some point in your life. Assuming that when you informed your parents of what was going on, you might get an extra cookie. And your sibling would go to bed early. Turns out you got in trouble too. Because you were a snitch. Poking your nose in. So often Jesus caught people in their own web of deceit and treachery. You remember the the scene of the woman caught in adultery? I love the depiction on the passion of the Christ. It's so vivid and strong on that in that movie and you get this you see Jesus writing in the sand. And the woman's crawling to his feet in absolute fear and trembling. And all of the people that are standing around, they have rocks in their hands, and they're thinking, wow, we got a chance. There's going to be a beatdown today. They're all crowded around. You know how it is, like in high school or whatever. Maybe it never happened in any of your high schools, but it did in mine. But... You know, that they, you know, there's a fight, 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 and now everybody's crowded around. And they were doing that with this woman caught in adultery. And, and they think, think that they're going to get Jesus tripped up in this moment, but Jesus says, He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Guess I'm out on this one. Jesus took all the fun out of their situation. The same thing for Old Testament Haman, the book of Esther, thinking he's, he's, man, he's building the gallows. Man, it's about to come down. I'm finally going to get it right. People will revere me. Oops. Yeah, yeah, he's swinging from those gallows. That's often we get caught in that kind of same thing, and we're only looking at the outward and not caring for the soul. We're looking at the people first, but now let's turn our attention to the parables themselves. Because the parables represent a much larger or greater point. That's what I'm hoping you will catch by the time I'm done today. First, we have the lost sheep. And how did the sheep become lost? You know, I mean, we ask, preachers ask questions like that. How did the sheep become lost? Did it wander off? Did it fall off a cliff? 
did it get distracted or confused? Is that speaking to anybody in this place? Have you ever seen somebody distracted and confused? We live in a world like that right now here in the U.S. We're coming on this presidential election. People all up in arms and pounding, got signs in their yards and this and that. Getting confused on the issues. Come on. I think it's a clear choice, but that's me thinking. How did the sheep get lost? Distracted? We get distracted. Don't you get distracted? Ever found yourself praying? <laughs> I mean, you ever, those of you who are tied to that phone, you know as soon as you start praying. And does it two or three times and you're thinking, this must be an emergency. Get distracted. Was it more, is it possible that the, the lost sheep was, it was something more diabolical, like a wolf, a lion, or a bear got it? Something more diabolical, painful. How did the sheep get lost? We're not really told how it got lost. We just know that it got lost. Because it's not so important to the message, but, it, but I want you to think on these things because we do think this way. We put our spin on it. If they got that way by their own intent, they deserve what they got. Uh-oh. Did that preacher just say what I thought he said? Yes, he did. But let's move on to the coin now. Let's get off the sheep and go to the coin. You have this lost coin. And again, was it misplaced? Is it possible that the husband found the coin and put it someplace or somewhere else to make it safe? Because this is back in the day, if, 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 if mama lost the coin, mama's going to get a beat down. I, I know that's not politically correct, but it was, I'm just saying back in that day, I'm not justifying it. Just saying that's what's going to happen. So she is worried. The reason she parties on the other side of this is because she avoided the beatdown. And this wasn't just a couple of pennies. This may well have represented a month's worth of living or more. So that's why they party on the other side. Regardless, did the husband find it, maybe put it someplace else that's considered safe? Did, he, did um, the kids discover the stash? You ever hide your Christmas presents from the kids? Only to see corners peeled and stuff open? I said in the first service, we had, we, in our, our former church, when, when it, our kids were young enough that this mattered, I mean, they got old enough where we could say to them, just keep your hands off the gifts. Don't rattle them, shake them, don't do anything, just leave them there and look at them. Why? Because I said so. Yeah, we did that. But we had a place in our former church, we'd hide them. We could lock a closet and hide them in the closet, and they had no clue. They never found them. Until now, until today, they never knew where the gifts were. In that closet outside, it was awesome. It was perfect for us. Did the kids discover the stash of money and maybe go out and have a good time? Did someone steal it? We're not told what happened to it? We just know that it was lost and they found it and they rejoiced when they found it and had another party. Finally, we have the lost son. Now, his case is different, obviously, because he goes away by choice, right? So remember what I said a moment ago? We, we put our spin on stuff and if, 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 the, if the sheep, you know, 
decided he's going to wander off. I, I said, you know, I like that shepherd over there. I'm going off. He deserves what he gets. That's how we think. In this case, he wanders off. He leaves by choice. He made a conscious adult decision to leave his home, his family. King James says, live it up, riotous living. He was more intrinsically motivated by what was going on inside of him, in other words. In fact, he was controlled by inner greed. We're told that in the scriptures. That was what led him down this pathway. I want my stuff now. So you might ask the question, was he really lost? And can we say of this guy what he was lost when he decided to go down this path? I, I, perhaps, I say yes, perhaps more than the others. He was truly off course. Until he came to his senses, he didn't even know he was off course. Until it slaps him in the face, I'm hungry, and that pod that I should be feeding the pig looks good to me. That's a desperate place to be. He's lost. Maybe you never ran off like that, but is it possible that you've considered walking away from your current life for another? <laughs> I got to get out of this. Man, I'm changing course altogether. Each of these parables are intrinsically tied to one another. In other words, they're connected. Each one of them are connected. They all share a common theme, the value of one. But there's a secondary theme, the heart of God for the lost. The value of one, the heart of God for the lost. They're tied together. We've looked at the people We've looked at the parables. Now let's look at the proportions. The proportions. Remember for a moment who Jesus is talking to. Tax collectors. Not just them though. Because remember the Pharisees or the teachers of religious law, they understood the law. They understood these principles from a different sort of direction. And so we begin with the 99 to 1 ratio. We're looking at proportions here. In the investment world, you never leave the 99 for the 1 because the 99 are worth far more, right? You understand those proportions. A 99th percentile is a pretty good percentile. Most investment portfolios would say you're doing good if you only lose on one of your hundred investments. Even in the practical world, the shepherd would never leave 99 sheep alone. He wouldn't just go off and leave them alone. He would make some kind of adjustments, wouldn't he? Sure he would. I, I understand that the scripture said that he left the 99 to go find the one, but he didn't just walk off and forget them. He would only travel in the daytime. He'd only do this in the daytime because in the daytime, you're less likely to have things like wolves or uh, coyotes. They don't have them in Israel, so they couldn't have coyotes. But, you know, those kinds of things, they come out in the evening. The bears, the lions, they would look for the cover of darkness to take one of the sheep. So he'd make some kind of arrangements. He'd hire somebody to watch over the sheep. He'd do something. He wouldn't just go off and leave the 99 alone. And even from the businessman's perspective, the obvious is the value of the 99 to the 1. From a businessman's perspective. And many of these were businessmen. And so he'd, he'd say, cut your losses. You're still way ahead of the game. You've got the 99. Stick to the 99. It's not worth going off and forgetting the 99 for the 1. then this says something about Jesus, doesn't it? Because he brings in this parable and he, he thinks differently, doesn't he? I'll come back to that, but he, it's clear even in that first parable, he thinks differently. Then there's the 9 to 1 ratio. So we go down to a 10% relative to the 100th. 
10 coins in the process, but one of them is lost. And the investment world would still say, stick to the nine. You have a 90% value. Stick with the nine. 10% is bad. It's a loss. But it's not so bad. You still got the 90%. Be happy with what you have. That's still a good ratio. You got to let the 10% go. The businessman says the same thing. Take care of the nine and let, let, let the one go. Cut your losses. Just forget about it. Now I know, like I've said a moment ago, I, I'm one of those people, I, won't, I don't let things go easily like that. I will search, I will dig, I will poke, I will prod, I will just do everything I can to try to find something that's lost. Then we come down to that third parable, and it's the one-to-one ratio. This one's interesting. Now, surely one son is not more important than the other. You get that, right? Because that's not, uh, uh, not the message Christ is trying to send. There's not one more important than the other. It's just that one needs attention right now. And in fact, on the backside of this parable, the son who stayed is in many ways as lost as the other. Right? You see it when he starts talking. When what comes out of his mouth comes out of his mouth. He's not even able to celebrate that his brother that was lost, that they knew nothing about, is now found. He's not doing that, is he? He's lost. He's lost here in his head and in his heart. He's just as desperate, if you will, as the other son. In fact, he took his father's love for granted. He took his father for granted, period. Everything I have is yours. And the point of the parable is the father never lost sight of the son, even when the son chose to leave. I feel an Elvis Presley song coming on. (laughs) Willie Nelson did it too. You were always on my mind. And though I hope you see the humor in that statement, it's the reality I want you to catch. See, he never lost sight of his son. Oh, I'm convinced of that, and it's said to you in the Word, because the father recognized his son afar off. He was watching for him. There was days on end when he would see a stranger walking by and wonder, is that my son? And he had to be different because he, he no longer had the good clothes and stuff. He'd been feeding pigs, people. So he couldn't look like his lost son. But his father recognized him when he was in the distance by the way he walked. The son of my own loins. I know that walk. I can tell who he is. I know who this is. And he begins to rejoice. And he actually runs to his son and hugs him. And his son did say what he said he would say. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. Your servants have more than enough to eat. If you'll hire me, I'll be a servant. I'm hungry, Dad. (laughs) You're hungry, son? Let's start the party right now. We got a calf we've been fattening. Now's a great day to butcher that dude. So I want to bring it to a close today. Lost people are lost people. You see, in the eyes of Christ, the ratio is irrelevant. I know that sounds bad to you, but he doesn't think like you think. A lost child... A lost son, whether it's of 99 or 100 or 10, still lost. 
the eyes of God, one lost person is one lost person, and that's that. In the field of 100, the lost one has the same value as the 99. In the, in the house of 10, the one has as much value as the other nine. In the house of two, why the father never stopped looking for his lost son. God thinks differently than we do. Thank the Lord. Did you notice how the value diminishes over each parable? We start at 100, first parable of the sheep. We move to 10, parable of the coins. And now we move to 2, parable of the lost son. Ratios. And yet, in each ratio, the value of the lost one is the same. What we have to catch is that God chases after people who are lost, period. And sometimes lost people require special effort to reach them or find them. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you've got to go through special effort. Yeah, you're going to pray harder. You're going to have to go the distance. You may have to do things differently, but a lost child is a lost child. And that's the way God looks at it. God, you see, who is not limited by space, who is not limited by time, who is not limited by our proportions, goes after the one who is lost because it's the fact that the child is lost that matters to the king of kings. Do you hear it now? On a heart level, God values all of us the same. Even if you're one in a million, you're one in a million. So I said I was going to close, but I really am going to close now. We're living in the upside down. If you want to see it in the scriptures, here it is. From 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I want you to see this. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. Somebody say amen. amen. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. This sounds like it was handwritten for America right now. They will consider nothing sacred. Not our history, not our documents, not our monuments. Nothing is sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Anybody see that recently? They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That's the word. I didn't make this up. It's in your Bible like mine. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I think this passage clearly defines America right now. What does that mean? America is lost. That's what it means. And we're living in the upside down. Stuff just doesn't make sense anymore. I can say it with firm conviction. This is not the America I grew up in. And I came of age when the Vietnam War was on. And it looked weird. All the stuff that was going on, protests and stuff, it was, it was real. And in fact, desegregation, I was a part of it. I was sent to a different school than 
neighbors that lived just a few blocks away. It was a difficult time, but this is, this is upside down. And I wonder who is sitting here right now in this moment listening to me. Perhaps you're even listening online right now. Do you know someone that's lost? If you catch anything in these parables, you have to recognize God loves those who are lost and wants to, whatever effort is necessary to bring them back, He wants to do so. Got somebody in your family? If I name this right now, stand to your feet. Somebody in your family lost? Got a good friend that's lost? How about your workmates or schoolmates? You know anybody that's lost? Obviously, I'm talking from the spiritual perspective. But lost people, they need help. And I wonder if you're the kind of person that will do what you have to do to bring them back so that there can be that party, that day of rejoicing. Bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody stand to your feet now if you don't mind. First things first, everybody's eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, you're not looking around. Is it possible that you're here this morning and not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ? In fact, if the trumpet were to sound and he were to rapture his church, would, is it possible that you wouldn't go? Or that there's a question mark regarding that? Is there any possibility that you are not ready for the very moment when God calls his church home? Or if, God forbid, on your way home, you were to suffer a tremendous accident. Listen, you don't know about tomorrow. Listen, just after the, the early service, a woman came up to me in our church and said, last week a car drove into our living room. But for the grace of God, who, who, whose daughter was sitting on the couch, heard the noise of the car coming, instead of turning and looking at it, she ran to the kitchen. You don't know. You don't know about your tomorrow, but you can know that your tomorrow is secure by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're here listening to the sound of my voice right now, and not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want to make sure today, you want to get it right, lift that hand right where you're at. Say, I want to be sure I'm ready to meet Jesus. Whatever the case is, I'm ready. Even if you're watching online and not in a right place with Christ, but you could say by an emoji hand, I need Jesus. Pray for me, preacher. Anybody. I don't see anybody in the house, so if, it, if it's possible that you've raised your hand, wave higher, lift it higher, do something, because I ain't seeing a hand inside the sanctuary. Now listen, if you're listening online, pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior, and then make a connection with us if that's your story. Now for the rest of you, the vast majority who stood and said, I, there's somebody I care for that is lost. And even if there's not somebody in your immediate surrounding that's lost, you know when I use a title like this for a message and call it the upside down, you know you're living in a world right now that is upside down. People need Jesus. Would you pray and ask Jesus to help you 
to reach those that you can reach. Would you pray and ask Jesus to help us as a church body to reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you pray that God would awaken the church as a whole to reach the lost all over the world? Come on, join me as we pray. Precious Lord, we know the time is short. We are in the very last moments of the last days. We don't have time to play around. God, so we cry out to you with this level of passion because we have somebody that we love, a family member, a friend, Lord, that we desperately cry out to you on their behalf and ask you, Lord, to help us, help this church, help the church at large to awaken to those who are lost. And while it'd be real easy to get caught up in all of the politics of the time and those concerns, and they are great concerns, and yet, Lord, people who do not know you as Christ and Savior, as Lord and Savior, are going to spend eternity in hell, and God, for them, we now plead. We ask you to help us, Lord, reach them the good news of Jesus and see their lives turned around help us precious Lord we pray help us Lord to somehow get through to them in your glorious and powerful name we pray amen amen I love you folks I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the lehigh valley but around the world we want to do our part in reaching the people that god has entrusted to us with the gospel of jesus christ you can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry god bless you have an amazing day remember you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.